Well, we've been in this series called The Beatitudes, The Beatitudes. We've been working our way through a list of attributes that Jesus calls blessed. I believe that these Beatitudes uh, are waypoints for us on our way to learning what it means to follow Jesus. As Christians, we talk about following Jesus a lot. Maybe you know that the call uh, of following Jesus is simply to follow him. That's what he always tells people over and over and over in Scripture. He just His call to people is, follow me. And uh, Maybe you, you have some understanding of what that means. we got to do some of the things Jesus did and, 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 and live the way that, that he wanted us to live. And Really, what it's about is making what is important to him important to us and to model the way that he lived his life on our life. That's what it has been about since the very beginning when he brought those 12 disciples alongside him and then the group of other disciples that followed him and even his close group of three disciples that he was the closest with, these people that he was in relationship with, he was really just teaching them how to live the way that God designed us and created us to live. And that's what it looks like to follow him. The whole list of Beatitudes is about helping you understand the way that you can experience the greatest blessing in this life. I believe God's got blessing in mind for you in this life. I don't think that means life's always going to be easy or wonderful. I don't think that means it's financial blessing or, or, or material blessing. What I believe is that God has a dream for you that involves the purpose he designed and created you with and involves relationship with him. And in order to have the most intimate and fulfilling and satisfactory relation with him you can have, this is the map to get there. Uh, These are the attributes that give you the kind of blessings that make you, help you wake up every morning and feel whole and feel Full. That's what the Beatitudes are all about. And so last week we talked about, Pastor Mitch preached, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And today, I'm going to continue in verse 8, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, and it's this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. All of these beatitudes are followed by a promise. And it's the promises of what it looks like for us the more that we live this way and live like Jesus. And this particular one, I think is pretty incredible what promise is attached to it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? And how does someone who's lived in this broken world for a lifetime get back to a place where they could be even considered pure in heart? I think the answer to the question of what what it means for us to be pure in heart can be found in Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 19, verse 13 and 14. It says, the children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people. But basically, people were all trying to get their kids up to Jesus because they're like, give them some of that little Jesus blessing. These kids are driving me nuts, Jesus. Please fix them. Heal them of their calamities. And uh, the disciples like, get them kids out of here. This is Jesus. He's got important stuff to do. And they're trying to kind of manage the crowd a little bit. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. 
For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. One chapter before that, Matthew chapter 18, it says this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? People have always been the same. Doesn't that, I see stuff like this in the Bible, and it reminds me that even though the context of their world was different than the world we live in, people, who we are, has always been the same. These guys are listening to Jesus tell them to love their enemies and to be, be a f- great follower of Christ and to lay their life down for the people that they're meant to serve. And uh, their big question is, hey, who's the greatest when we get to heaven? Who's going to be the best one, Jesus, okay? Because I think John over here is going to be in heaven's trailer park, and I think I got a mansion coming. They're asking ridiculous questions all the time. And uh, it says, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, so there's a child in the crowd, and he brings it forward, and he puts it in the midst of his disciples and says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children... You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, we will see God if we are pure in heart. And the only way to enter the kingdom of heaven is to become like a child. Jesus loves the little children, right? I think Jesus is saying the same thing in all of these passages. He's trying to communicate the same truth to us in different ways. Because who is more pure of heart than a child? Now, anyone who knows a kid knows that a child is not pure of heart in every way. Uh, In fact, they begin to lie as soon as they begin to speak. It's just a fact. The the two-year-old standing in the corner like this. Are you going potty? No, no potty. But the nose knows, you know. The, this, isn't, this is not true. <laughs> no, that's not what it means. The fall of man is evident in every step of our process. But there is a purity that a child possesses that we as adults lose along the way. And it is the purity of belief. The purity of belief. A child doesn't innately question you when you tell them of the world. They accept it. And continue to ask their favorite question, which is, why? Why? Why are things like that? And you've got to keep coming up with the answers to this until you eventually make up something ridiculous. And now they believe that as well because they have the purity of belief. A child that hasn't seen suffering can't imagine that suffering exists. A child that hasn't had their heart broken believes that it will always be whole. A child with great parents cannot fathom a life without them. And if we want to see God, we've got to find our way back to that purity of belief. I love the movie Hook. You know, we're not quite in at the movies yet, but I couldn't get away from this image from the movie Hook. Anybody seen Hook? If you've never seen Hook, you're missing out. Robin Williams plays an old Peter Pan who's now a lawyer. It's fantastic, and uh, it's telling this story of Peter Pan's grown up, and he's forgotten all about Never Never Land, and his love for fun is gone, his belief in flying is gone, his sense of adventure, it's all gone, Uh, and all that remains is a jaded, overworked, exhausted exterior that many of us see in the mirror every single morning, and this movie is all about his journey back 
to Neverland. It's a Steven Spielberg movie, and that's what Spielberg made a lot of his movies about in the 80s and early 90s was, was about this idea of what it meant to be a child. And so in this journey that Peter Pan goes on, he remembers how to play like a child, believe like a child, see like a child, even to fly again like a a mystical child from Never Never Land. It exists as a fable for those of us who grew up and left the world of our childhood behind, but never to never forget who we were when we still believed we could fly. And there's this great scene in it where Peter and the Lost Boys are sitting down to eat, but Peter can't see anything. And the food's invisible. It's make-believe. It doesn't make any sense. I'm not asking you to really buy too much into this film. But as the kids are all feasting on make-believe food, uh, Peter thinks he's going crazy because he doesn't see anything there. Until there's this moment where he remembers what it was like to be a child again. And suddenly the table is full of food and they have this great food fight together and he calls a guy a paramecium brain and it really is an incredible moment in film. And it reminds us of this journey that we've gone on from child to adult where we've been jaded by the brokenness of the world that we live in. We've all experienced so much. I mean, even just in these last couple of years, our shared trauma is so immense that our purity of belief and the purity of our hearts is drifting further and further into the past. And Jesus is saying that it is crucial for us to take a journey back to remember how to get into that place again. You've lived a life filled with high points and low points, celebrations and regrets, loves and heartbreaks, and all of it's jaded you through the years and made it hard for you to see God. And so how do you get back? How do you find that purity again that would allow you to see God every day in your life and in the lives of others? And I think that the pathway is simple, but it's incredibly hard to walk. Jesus said, wide and straight is the pathway to destruction, but narrow and winding is the road to the kingdom of heaven. It's not an easy road, however simple it may be, but it is worth it. It's the path to following Jesus. It's the path to blessing, to a life well lived and to seeing God himself. And so let's look at a few ways that we can get back. Number one, stop the lies. Stop the lies. In Psalm 24, David talks about having a pure heart. And he talks about seeing the face of God. Let's read his words. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Who has clean hands? He who has clean hands and a pure heart and who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. This is an absolute banger of a song from the early 2000s that was adopted into an ancient Psalm of David. Uh, So Jesus tells us to be pure in heart and that we would see God. And David says that with clean hands and a pure heart, we would be a generation of those who seek the face of the God of Jacob. These things are connected. So in David's psalm, 
What is the thing that gets us from A to B? What gets us from created me a pure heart to we seek the face of God? Well, in David's psalm, it says, He who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and he who does not swear deceitfully. Don't worship lies, and don't speak lies. Lies are the devil's whole strategy to lead the world into further brokenness and pain. John 8, 44 talks about our enemy. And it says he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. There's this series coming up that we're going to be doing in January. Uh, end of January, February, and it's based on a book called Live No Lies by a pastor named John Mark Comer. I like him because of his name mostly, (laughs) but he's also written some good books. Honestly, if you are trying to wrap your head around how to live in the culture that we live in now and be a follower of Jesus, I would recommend you go pick this book up tomorrow and start reading it, Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. And in this book, the author says, lies that come in the form of deceptive ideas are the devil's primary method of enslaving human beings and the entire human societies in a vicious cycle of ruin that leads us further and further east of Eden. And he puts forth this theory that the working theory of the devil's strategy is that deceitful ideas that play to our disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. That is the devil's strategy to disrupt the plan of God. In other words, the devil plants lies in our heads that make it hard for us to identify lie from truth because of the way they appeal to what is attractive to our flesh, to what feels good, and to the idols that we naturally pursue. And he reinforces it by repeating this pattern in every person around us so that it becomes a part of our culture and it's hard for us to stand against. We live in a culture that normalizes the idols in our lives and that agrees with the lies that we want to believe because they feel good or at least we believe they feel good. That ends up being a lie as well because over time they make us feel worse and worse and worse and even if they do feel good for a moment, that moment is always passing. But since these lies are woven into our culture, We just keep believing they make us feel good and we stay imprisoned in this cycle that is killing us and darkening our hearts. You can see it in the people around you, in every celebrity biopic you've ever seen, in every interview and podcast with these people who are supposed to have it all. You can see it repeated over and over and over again. Everybody told me if I did these things, lived this way, believed these things, got these things, achieved these milestones, I would be happy. I am actually not happy, and so I will just continue to repeat it over and over again until we work ourselves into a state of absolute devastation. We live in a culture of lies. And if we want to break free of it, we're going to have to break free 
from these lies, from these idols, and from the pattern of this world. As Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Really, just one of the most powerful moments in Scripture because there has always been this pattern in the world. I know it's easy to look at how fast the world that we live in has changed just in the last 20 years here in this culture. But the reality is this pattern has always been there. It existed in ancient Rome. It existed before that. It existed in every culture of man always because it has always been the devil's strategy. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Identify the things that you are worshiping that are not God, the things that occupy your heart and your mind more than they should. Maybe it's work or money, or a person, or your family, or an addiction. Maybe it's something secret. Maybe it's something that everybody knows about. Honestly, if you show me your calendar, I can show you your idols. What gets the majority of your time? And then identify the lies that you are living that's leading you into these idols, the lies that you're believing, the lies that are echoing in your heart, lies about your identity and who you believe you are, or who the world has told you that you are, versus who God says you are. Lies about right and wrong. Lies about what is truth and where the line is. Lies about your worth. Lies about what makes you happy. Lies about who God is and what he thinks about you. Identify these lies. When I entered into a relationship with Jesus, I was living my life in a web of lies. I believed a bunch of lies. I had lies repeating in my head all the time about my self-worth. About, I mean, I remember I just constantly had this refrain in my mind every time I walked away from a group of people. None of those people like you. Everybody hates you. Why would they like you? You're not likable. It would just repeat every time I'd get into a scenario like that. I've been through a lot of counseling to deal with a lot of these things, but I can tell you that one of the most powerful spiritual tools that I've had to overcome the lies that have repeated in my mind is I kept a journal of lies and truth. And I always keep a journal, and, and in my journal, every day I write down what I call the heart of my prayer. When I'm praying, I, there's usually one thing that I feel like God is moving me to pray over more or pushing in on, or there's a, a revelation from his scripture or something like that. And it's usually like one sentence that I write down in my regular journal. That's a separate journal. I had a journal for years called the Journal of Lies and Truth. And what I would do is carry it with me. It was a little moleskin. And whenever those lies would start repeating in my mind, I would identify them. First, take out my little journal and write it down. This is, this, is, this is what I'm hearing, what I'm believing right now. And I don't think it's true. And actually, when you see it on paper, it looks a little bit silly. And then you circle it, and you write the truth underneath it. I would write it from Scripture. What does God say about me? I mean, he calls me fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm not unlikable. I'm not unworthy says in his word that he's made me worthy, that he's adopted me as a son and daughter of the one true God. I would write these things down, and then I would close that journal and put it away. And I had filled up several moleskins, just constantly writing down lies and replacing them with truths. And over time, I rewired my brain to stop 
living lies. In Psalm 51, David, in really the greatest passage of Scripture that that shows us what repentance looks like. If you're in a season of wanting to turn your life around, this is a great prayer. And in Psalm 51, in verse 10, David prays, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit away from me. And restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. God, help me to keep fighting this fight. Help me to be pure in heart, God. Let my spirit stand strong against all the lies of my culture and my world and that live inside my own heart and mind. Make it new. Fill me with your spirit and help me to keep fighting. Stop the lies and become pure in heart. And another way to get back to being pure in heart is like this one. Number two, end the conflict. End the conflict. The conflict in your heart and mind. The constant back and forth. The indecision about who you're going to be and where your life is going to go. In James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, it says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. This is a really great roadmap for when you're in these seasons, if you really just don't know what to do. First, give yourself completely and wholly to God. Submit yourself to him. Go all in on him. And then resist the devil with things like a journal of lies and truths. And it says he'll go away from you. And when you come near to God, when you enter into his presence in worship, prayer, and the spiritual disciplines that we teach all the time, he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Our double-mindedness keeps us from being pure in hearts. So what does it mean to be double-minded? Double-mindedness is one of the things that, da- that James points out as being a clear barrier to us having purity in our hearts. Double-mindedness means our mind and our heart and our body are all constantly in conflict. We talked about this last weekend. We're made of three parts, our body, our flesh, and our heart, mind, and soul. Uh, our, our bo- uh, the flesh, the body, heart, mind, soul, and our spirit. And our heart, our mind, the conscious part of you, is constantly being pulled in two directions. One way is towards the flesh, what feels good to your body, and the other is towards your spirit, the things that will actually satisfy you. And so many of us are trying our best to live in both worlds. We reserve satisfying our spirits for Sundays, and the rest of the week is for satisfying our flesh. It's one of the lies that we live, the lie that Sunday is enough, that we are following Jesus when really we are just aware of him. In Matthew 10, verse 39, Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What does that mean? Jesus clarifies what that means over and over and over again. His call Follow me. It wasn't just about adding something to our lives. It's about giving him everything that we are and all of our lives. 
In the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve more than one master. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And in this context, he's talking about money. This is why the Bible teaches tithing. It teaches it from start to finish, from the Genesis story all the way to Revelation. It's part of how we submit our idols to God. Throughout the scripture, the number one idol we see people pursuing is gold, money. And it's the same today. We want to trust God, but we also want to make sure we're financially secure and able to take care of ourselves. We place our faith in our 401k, and then we place it in God. God calls us to think differently. He doesn't call you to, don't be financially irresponsible. That's not what this message is about. I'm not saying just, just go throw all your money away. It doesn't matter. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God wants you to have the right order. He wants you to have the right order. God calls us to submit the first part of our labor, the first fruit out of our labor, our first 10% to him, to establish him as first in our hearts and in our lives. The story of Cain and Abel in Genesis, if you're familiar, maybe you just remember that a guy killed another guy, and that's important. But the why is more important. Why did Cain kill Abel? Why? Because in the story of Cain and Abel is the first example that we see of God calling people to bring him their first. The principle of the first is what we call it. And this principle of the first is this idea that God wants us to give him the first fruits, the first 10%, first part, because it tells us that he is the first thing in our lives, the very most important. And Abel is one of these brothers, a son of Adam. And, and Abel, he does it. He brings the very best of what he has, his very best crop, and sacrifices it to God. And Abel, or Cain, on the other hand, he kind of wants to give God a little bit of what's left after at the end of the day. This is what the story's about. He, he doesn't give him from the beginning. He gives him from the bottom, from the end. Maybe if I have a little bit left over this month, we'll see. And Cain brings it to God, and God takes Abel's sacrifice and says, thank you, you've acted in obedience, and he blesses him. And, and he's up telling Cain that you haven't done what I asked you to do. Your heart isn't in the right place. I'm not the most important thing to you. Our relationship is broken. And Cain is so furious at this that he kills his brother in jealousy. That's the story of Cain and Abel. It's a story of priority, not just a story of murder. God wants us to get our priority in order. Why? Because we cannot serve two masters. You can't see God if you're double-minded. You can't have the things the world tells you to worship and also have peace in Jesus. It just doesn't work that way. Those who are pure of hearts, purity simply means that it is not mixed with anything else. Gold is only pure gold if there's no other ore inside of it. That's what purity means. Purity means one thing. Pure in heart means our hearts go in only one direction towards God. No double-mindedness. No mixed loyalties. We pursue him and we pursue him only. That's the call of Christ. With that call, which is a high call. In fact, every time Jesus preached that message in the Gospels, it says that hordes of people walked away. People left. They were like, well, that's, I don't want to do that. That sounds crazy. I don't want to give everything that I am to him, submit myself completely to him, make him the most important thing, be pure of heart, be only fixated on following him. 
But as scripture teaches us that since that's the way you were made to live, since that's how you were designed by the creator who is calling you to this life, that in a full submission to Christ is the only place you can feel full peace in this life, wholeness in this life. It, it, it makes you a better husband or wife. It makes you a better friend. It makes you a better coworker. It makes you a better father, mother, son, daughter. Why? Because you are not just living in fragments anymore. You know what it means to be whole. That's the call. To no longer be double-minded. To end the conflict inside of you and submit yourself to where you are always meant to be. And finally, last thing is this. If we're going to get back to a place where we can have faith like a child and be as pure in heart as we once were, we have to go all in. What I was just saying, I mean, that's the whole idea is that he's called us to give him everything that we are. To be pure in heart and to see God means that you've removed everything that's in between you and him. I mean, could it be that you can't see God in your life because of all of the many obstacles, walls, idols, burdens, experiences, memories that you're not proud of, things that you wish nobody knew? They're all stacked up in front of you. They're in between you and him. You can't see him because there's so much mixed in keeping you from having purity in your heart, from being pure in heart. Life will do that to you. This, this life is exceptionally difficult. You are always one phone call away from things just falling apart. It just is that way. In fact, Jesus tells us it'll be that way. He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. The, the, this, this mentality that we've lived with as a people in this country for a long time, that if we're Christians, everything's hunky-dory and great and wonderful and awesome and everything is awesome. And we're, it's just not real. It's not what the scriptures teach. It's not what people believed about following God for millennia. That's a recent idea and it's damaging because it's our expectation now. But the reality is this world is very broken, very fallen. It's full of sickness and disease and hard days. Days that you just don't know if you're going to live through them or not. And all those days, they fog the glass. They get in between. They stack up and they stack up and they stack up. And one trauma leads to another, leads to another, and it just builds and builds. And now there's just this enormous barrier between my, me and my ability to see God. And that's hard. But the only answer to moving through all of that and living this life in the way you were designed to, seeing the goodness of God in the land of the living, is to go all in with him, to give him everything, to stop holding on to things so tightly, to stop holding on to your anger to stop holding on to your bitterness. Stop holding on to your shame and your guilt and your sin. The pain of yesterday, the uncertainty of tomorrow. Release it to him. 
release it to him so that you can have purity in your heart and begin to see him again. Trust him completely and you'll know what it's like to really know him. To be loved by him. To be fathered by him. It says in Matthew 18, 3 again, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What is a child if they are not devoted fully to the things that they love? It could be dinosaurs, superheroes, minions. They, they, their devotion is strong. My daughter Dagny loves the color blue. I mean, blue. She just loves blue. Anything that is blue, she loves it immediately. It doesn't matter what. It could be a, a tractor that's blue. She loves that tractor. I mean, a, a shirt that's blue could be just like the worst fitting, ugliest shirt you've ever seen. If it's blue, it's her favorite shirt that she's ever owned in the history of her life. Blue. It's obsessed. Her devotion is unmatched. To a good father or a good mother, a child gives complete faith and devotion. Whatever we say is absolute. Wherever we lead them, they will go. With some exceptions, like if they want cake and, and you say no. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Love him with everything that we have. Devote ourselves fully to him. First Timothy 1.5, the goal of this command, and he's speaking about what I just read, is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Grow in yourself a pure heart. Go all in on your faith. Don't hold anything back. We say from time to time around here, Give us a year. Give us a year and go all in and do everything that we ask. Live the way that we're leading you to live. Serve. Be in a small group. Go through it. Be a part of it with us. Go all in. And tell me what your life is like on the other side. If you're not blessed and living in the presence of God, then move on. But that's never happened yet. Go all in. Start by developing holy practices. Pray every single day. Download the Pray First app. If you haven't been here for 21 days of prayer, we always talk about this app. Maybe prayer is foreign and scary to you. And, you know, part of the reason all these obstacles are still in between you and God is because you don't know how to turn them over to him. Prayer is the answer to that. And prayer is the most powerful resource you as a mortal human have on this planet to be connected to the one who made it prayer. And if you don't know how to pray, you can learn pretty easily. Honestly, there's an app for that, just like everything else. It's a free app, ad-free. You go on to the app store and look for the Pray First app. It's called Pray First. Download it, and inside there's all these templates and resources and maps for how to pray. And you can just start by reading it out loud. And then you can take it a little bit at a time and do your own thing. And over time, you will learn to pray. Pray. Start with a couple minutes every morning and go for it. Pray, worship, 
Let the first song that hits your ears every morning be one that glorifies God. I can't stress this enough. It will change the outlook you have on this life. I, I just don't think that Dr. Dre being the very first thing that drops into your ears is going to be the most beneficial thing for the rest of your afternoon. I think you need to give that first to God, just like I try to give the first of everything to him. Worship. Let your heart go to God first. Study his word. Every day, pick a plan and read it every day. I downloaded an app called the Bible in One Year app. It's red and white. It's awesome. It's an incredible reading plan. I go through it every year. I've done it for several years now, and I love it. I love the devotions in it. The commentary is great. It breaks scripture up for my ADD mind in the right ways. And You don't have to do that one. You can go, go to download an app called the Bible app, and there's hundreds of plans on it. Just pick a plan and read God's word every day. Get to know him more. Pursue him more. Go through it with him more. Study his word. Go all in. Get on the dream team. Get, be a part of what God is doing here. Be a part of helping us reach our city. We, we don't believe that church is just about one person on a stage talking, but that it's about all of us using our gifts together alongside one another to do the work that God has called us to do. Get on the dream team. Be a part of this. Go all in. Give everything to him. Submit yourself to him fully and completely. Get in a small group. Come when we say come to this. Come to this. Be a part of this community. Give. Let your heart start to get reordered by letting the first thing you do be giving. Do all of those things. Do some freedom work to start to heal from these things that are keeping you from seeing God, that are the double-mindedness, the traumas, the hurts, the obstacles. Freedom work is everything from getting in a small group and letting others know, just learning to be vulnerable, taking your mask off, letting people see who you are, do that. Get in, a, get in a small group. Maybe you need to go through counseling. Maybe you need someone to help you sort out all the traumas of your life. I have been in counseling for years. It has changed me, transformed me, and led me to a greater place of freedom. Maybe you need other things, and we want to help you figure out what those are because we want you to learn how to be pure in heart because we want you to know what it is like to see God. I finish with this one passage in Exodus chapter 33. It's I hit a button. made my notes disappear. Verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, the son of Nun, he wouldn't leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people. If you don't know the story, Moses has taken the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. And for a long time, they've been wandering through the desert as God prepares them to enter what's called the promised land. The place where God wants to make a people, make a nation. Okay. You've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you've found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. Moses speaks to God face to face the way one speaks to a friend. And his heart is just to know him more. 
know him more. God, I want to know more about you. I want to know where you are when you're with me. I want to know who you are. I want to know your name. I want to know everything about you. God, I'm desperate for you. I'm fully submitted to you. I'm giving my life to you. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with me, do not send me one more step up from here. I don't want to go into the promised land if you're not coming with me, God. I, I don't want to, I don't, I'll stay in this desert for the rest of my life if I get to stay here with you. I don't need to see the promises on the other side of those mountains if you're not a part of them, God. All I want is you. This is what it looks like to be pure in heart. It's a full and in total and complete submission to God and God alone. Lord, I need you. I need to know you. I need to know who you are. I need to know your name. I need to know where you want me to go. I need to know what your dreams are for me. I need to know how to, how to understand your character more. I, I need to know more about God. Wherever your presence is, is where I want to be. I don't want to be anywhere that you are not. You are what matters the most to me. The heart of Moses a man who speaks with God face to face as though a friend. If you want to see God, that's what it looks like. Heavenly, if you're here today, I was about to start praying and I remembered. If, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't know God, you've got all this stuff in between you and God, you're living in all these lies and, and you're, you're dealing with this double-mindedness and there's this constant conflict going on inside of you and you just, you're done with it. You're tired of running this race and you're tired of constantly living in this uncertain world. The cycle of finding happiness and watching it go away and trying to find it again. If you want to just live in a place of joy and in a place of peace and in a place of satisfaction, it can only be found in a relationship with Jesus. And I, I would be honored to just walk you into that today. It starts with just a, a prayer, a conversation, a commitment to know him and to go all in with him. And then on the other side of that is the journey forward. And we would love to partner with you on that as your church. If you're ready to take that first step, every head bowed, every eye closed, pray this with me, Lord. I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to be in relationship with you. So forgive me. Forgive me of all my sins. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own for so long. Forgive me, Lord. And I thank you for doing the work for me to forgive me through Jesus on the cross. I believe in you and I want to know you and I want to follow you with all that I am for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.